Student debt is a real problem for recent graduates and current students. So we want to talk about other ways that tuition could be covered. My name is David Birnbaum. Welcome to The Safe Space. With me today are Cheryl Peters and Matt Colfin. Thanks for joining me. It's good to be here. So, uh, so I guess the first thing is all three of us went to university. Um, that's how we know each other. Um, how do you feel about the fact that we had to cover that cost ourselves? Or with, you know, we had to find ways to cover that ourselves? Uh, for me, it's always been a little bit of a tricky thing because I received a good amount of financial aid at the beginning, so it was kind of nice to be able to start on the right foot. And then once it got towards the end of university, I realized that, hey, co-op's covering some of this, there's opportunities to help pay for that. Um, but it would have been nice considering how important it is to have a university education and how that's always been a goal if there was really more of a support system on how to cover it, how to navigate at least the financial aid that currently exists and that existed when I went to university um, to be able to cover off that cost and really not have to worry about graduating with twenty or $30,000 of debt. I was really fortunate because uh, my dad is a financial planner, so he, he was very diligent in saving. Um, I'm also the youngest of four kids, so for them to manage like saving for four kids was a really big accomplishment, but um, yeah, I, I was super fortunate that they had saved, but I can say if, if they hadn't done that, then I would have been really stressed out about the, like, financially. Um, I did have one co-op term where I wasn't paid at all, and it was so stressful, like, I had two jobs, um, and, like, yeah, I was just super busy trying to figure out how to cover the living costs. Um, yeah, I went yeah. to a university with a co-op program, and, you know, so a lot of people, that was a big attract, attractive factor for the university is because people could kind of earn wages and help pay for their own schooling while they were going through it. But there's been this growing discussion around, should tuition be free? And the Ontario government has, you know, implemented new programs to help reduce the cost and cover it fully. I think I was reading a third of people had their costs fully covered in Ontario. Um, what do you think about you know, providing free tuition to, to students? Um, I think generally it's a good idea. Like on my first impression, it seems like people should have access to a university or a college education, especially because it's now the norm. It's not like, uh, it's not like 20 years ago where high school was already good stuff where now it's like you need it and it gives you somewhat of a competitive advantage, but it's really just a start. Yeah, I mean, when it gets to the point where two thirds, three quarters of a population needs something, that should be a pretty big tipping point to say that's something we should make available easily to everybody. You know, it's not that everybody uses hospitals on a day-to-day -day basis or uses roads on a day-to-day -day basis or even uses daycare on a day-to-day -day basis. But we've decided as a society that for all those particular services that a strong amount of subsidization is really important to do. So when we're getting to the point of universities and colleges and, you know, any other sort of post-secondary trades programs that in order to really succeed, you need that, it seems like a perfect reason to say, hey, this is a public service. Can we do this for a lower cost by making sure everyone has it covered? getting rid of all the burdens of having to figure out what financial aid is and how to work around those and all the other you know, extra spin-off industries that have been created solely to help solve a problem that we could probably fix as a whole collective. But th then there are arguments, you know, it's you are the one getting an education. Why should I help pay for that, right? Like it's benefiting you, isn't necessarily benefiting me as the taxpayer? I think that's, yeah, I understand where that's coming from, that people want to say, hey, I don't want to just hand out things for free, but there's a lot of things that benefit 
you more but still benefit society as a whole. By being more educated, it means that there's more opportunities for people that as a whole society were more productive. You know, you look at the average output if you want to measure it in dollars of university graduate or a college graduate versus someone with only a high school education. And by any metric and any study, you can see that it's just a lot more. So to say that that person now isn't contributing to society by paying higher taxes, by being more innovative, by doing any number of things, um, I think it would be kind of false to say there's not a societal benefit to that. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Right. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, also when um, I lost my point. <laughs> Um, so one thing, you know, we touch on that it's kind of a requirement for a lot of jobs now, but I find it quite interesting that it's a requirement for so many jobs. You see a lot of jobs now that say you need to have a university degree or even a college diploma, but I don't think they're necessarily needed, right? So you're kind of pumping people through this system, but, you know, there's a lot of jobs still that you don't necessarily need it, and maybe an apprenticeship would be better, um, but they just kind of say you should get a university degree because. So are we like, yes, right now the system is one that everyone you know, needs a, a post-secondary education, but do they actually? Or is it you know, more beneficial for society overall for people to have higher education? You've brought up a good point because something I've been thinking of recently is that with the, with the internet and how accessible online courses are now, um, a lot of people are able to make up their own businesses and be entrepreneurs without even having a university education. And uh, you can think of like the really top examples. They're like, oh, they dropped out of university. They didn't even get a degree. And now they're millionaires, billionaires. So yeah, that's, that's a really good point. And coding is actually, you know, a lot of jobs in the future are going to be coding. Do you have to go to university to get that? Or can you just set up a coding school? Do I need a degree? Or if I do a two-year coding program uh, or just teach myself online, you know, that will prepare me very well for the workforce. And a lot of companies don't even require a degree if you have that actual practical experience. Yeah, I mean, having specialist schools for specialized skills makes a lot of sense. Because again, those tend to be places where you can do things in a more cost-effective way. If you're looking at, uh, if I think of say private medical colleges that are going to train dental hygienists and things like that, it's much more efficient for those businesses to exist to set up something that's dedicated to that one practice. And for the people who want that, they can just go to somewhere where that's all they focus on, they figure out how to do it in the most cost-effective way, rather than looking and saying, let's give everyone a one-size-fits-all solution. Let's build a big university, another Waterloo, another U of T, and try to train someone who has a very specialized need in a very broad environment. Uh, and likewise, it goes to say, like, the university education is meant to develop the way and the patterns you think. But if you know this is the one thing that I want to do, then just go ahead and get to doing it. Let's just figure out a way to make that happen. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a good point. And on, you know, engineering is what I studied. And that's what it makes me think of is there's been discussions of the engineering school kind of breaking off from the larger university because engineering is kind of, you know, preparing you for the specific job. People who go into engineering, you know, they're being trained in civil engineering or transportation engineering or whatever else. So it's not, as ne it's not necessarily as much of this, like, broad thinking. It's more of a hybrid between the college and university mindset. But it's still, you know, about that higher education. So if we have these trade schools or whatever other model, should that be covered by the taxpayer? Should everyone get additional education past high school? Hmm. Well, it's a, it's a tough question because once you get into the future where things start looking messier, it's not like everyone just goes to university and then tuition's 
you know, covered or mostly subsidized. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think that with most jobs, I mean, with our entire economy kind of going towards a service job orientation, virtually every role requires some form of extended education, we'll call it. Um, and with that extended education, whether it needs to be in the college or university setting, in a trade or technical setting, or whether it's just on the job skills that could be done in a formal setting in a more efficient way, I think there's a lot of opportunity for, uh, for all those different things to take part. Yeah, that's fair. And like for me, I do believe that if there's a requirement of the job force, that should be covered by society and the taxpayer. Because, you know, high school didn't always used to be free, but at some point we said, no, we want our workers to all be educated, yeah. right? So like society does need doctors, they do need engineers and many other professions. And so if society needs doctors as much as I want to be a doctor, why do I have to have $100,000 of debt, right? Yeah. They need me to get this education or else we'll run out of doctors. Exactly, and it's going on with that, you know, we want the best doctors, we want the best engineers, particularly in those really technical fields. Why should we say, hey, you know, just because you don't have $100,000, but this person does, they get a leg up on being able to enter that profession. That's fair. And, you know, one thing this makes me think of is actually the model they use in Malaysia, and it's something that I, I was talking about the other day as well. If we shift to something where it's about like filling the workforce requirements, you know, do we only cover the tuition for some people, right? And how do you determine what is a requirement and what isn't? So in Malaysia, uh, you know, you take a you take a standardized test and you score a certain way, and they look at that and what Malaysia's job force requirements will be, and they say we will pay for your tuition if you do this field because we need people in this field. If you, you can go somewhere else and get any education you want, but then we're not gonna pay for it, right? Because right now we still have complete freedom of choice, and yes, you know, I'm happy to help pay for a doctor, but may, there's maybe some other degrees, and it tends to skew, you know, unfortunately away from the sciences in most people's mind, that why should I help pay for an English major or, you know, an art history major, right? It's, I mean, I don't disagree with the benefits to society personally, but it's very hard to make that argument that those help society, you know, as, ten as tangibly. Yeah. No, I think that's a, no, it's a, it's a really hard question because you look and say, hey, we want everyone to have freedom of choice and right. freedom of conscience. And while we're at it, you can guide that in with freedom of mobility that you can get a great education in Canada and then say, there's an opportunity I want to take in the UK or in, Kenya or Malaysia and go study or go move over there and take that education that's you know subsidized by Canadian taxpayers and move it abroad. Um, so I think those two sort of things go hand in hand where we decided freedom of choice is a value but again should we be paying for it? I don't really have a good answer for that. Yeah, and, and who decides what uh, what profession is more important than the other? Some might be more obvious like doctors, uh, you know like people in healthcare and then others will be less obvious, like those more obscure yeah. degrees. And yeah, how do you make, how, who makes that decision of who, what should be subsidized? Well, and I think like that's what gets so difficult about if we were to move towards something like free tuition, right? You know, is it just, you can take whatever you want to study. If you, and you know, if you want to study 14th century art history for 10 years, that's your choice, but again, you know, do I have to pay for that, right? So, you know, would you, you know, right now we're in the mindset of 
people who just went through school who it would have been great to not have that. But you know, fast forward 10 years, are we gonna want to you know, have that burden to help pay for this as well? I mean, I guess the, the kind of counter question to that is, do we honestly think that if tuition were free and people could just select anything they wanted, that suddenly we'd have no doctors and engineers and coders and just a plethora of people who have studied fantastically interesting things to them that are niche and not important to the general economy? Um, or do we think that people are still gonna look kind of realistically and say, hey, when I graduate, I'm gonna need to get a job and being an engineer is gonna pay me 150 a year, being a doctor is gonna pay me 250, you know, should I still try to train and go for one of those particular roles because of the fact that there's a better economic output um, for me personally, or am I just going to follow my heart's desire because it doesn't cost me anything in the moment? Yeah, yeah I think that the, if you get to this point where everything's free, then people might change their mind more often and they might just jump around roles and have a, you know, that, that difficulty of committing to one thing over another. Um, when tuition costs you 12, well, 6,000 roughly per term, then you take it very seriously what you're going to study. Um, whereas if it was free, then maybe, yeah, maybe you would just start jumping around, waste a little more time. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess like we're obviously not going to solve the problem yeah, of free yeah. tuition here because there are, you know, what would the regulations be on time limit? Can you only get one free degree or infinite and things like that? Um, but it's like, obviously there's so much to it, but going back to kind of the system as a whole, like how do we view, university used to just be for higher education, right? It was to go and learn something that you wanted more from an intellectual point of view, not to prepare you for the workforce, right? But now we've, it's kind of started to shift, but it's not necessarily the best model. Cause you know, so I personally was involved with accreditation for engineering and things like that. And even though many students go through a four or five year program, the, the industry people are saying that they're not at all prepared for the workforce. Yeah. Right? So it's like, what is the point of learning concepts only for four years and then you still need two years of training before you can be useful, yeah. right? So even if it's, you know, doctors have residencies built in and things like that, but even if we need, even if we need engineers, it's, it seemed fairly evident to me that the training they were getting in university, you know, wasn't what they actually needed to be successful in that work environment. So to me, it's more about, you know, maybe helping subsidize the first or second year of work to encourage employment, right? Um, to like encourage them to get that actual on the job training, which is much more useful than just learning theories. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Um, so my mom teaches at Ryerson in the fashion department um, and was a student there 25 or so years ago. And one of the biggest things she has mentioned over the years of teaching is that the program, or the university before, was a polytechnic institute, which largely doesn't exist uh, in Ontario the way that it used to. And the difference was that was a very hands-on education. You know, students had to know how to sew coming in. They had to learn quickly how to draft, how to draw, how to provide concepts, and made them very tactically work-ready while providing somewhere in between a college and university-type education. But that as Ryerson in particular has become a true university um, in the more traditional sense of being a comprehensive, research-based university offering masters and whatnot. The program's also shifted to this theoretical model, and then it goes to how do you tie something as hands-on as fashion to a theoretical concept? And I feel like engineering, in your case, is probably pretty similar, that you know, civil engineers actually go out and build a bridge. Chemical engineers are developing products that are, well, they're chemical reactions and things like that. You need to be more than just conceiving that this could be possible. You need to actually be able to go do it. 
and again, how do we make our universities such that that is what they get? Or other training programs to make sure that that's the skill set that's out there. Yeah, and that's kind of the difference between like a mathematician or a scientist and you know an engineer, a fashion designer, and things. People who actually have to do those things. And you know, bring it again back to engineering. Conestoga College in Kitchener. Um, is the first college that has an accredited engineering program and their engineers seem to be much better prepared for the workforce, <laughs> right? Because they learn all of the stuff that's required by the accreditation board, but they actually have, they learn it through practical work, right? Um, which is, you know, seems fantastical for coming from a university background, right? Um, and so it seems like there's this disconnect and too often, you know, I feel that, you know, the problem is too many, like lots of people are going to university and it costs a lot of money, so we should just throw money at the problem, pay for all of it. Yeah. Whereas I think, you know, it's, it's more complex, but to try and think about, you know, the system as a whole, is it really working? Because universities, you know, one of the most outdated institutions, it hasn't really changed in how they teach people in a very long time. Yeah, it's funny, I remember reading a quote saying, university changes one retirement at a time. That's <laughs> really the big method of change. Um, though that makes sense and I think it ends up saying kind of that this is a push and pull problem that providing free tuition so that anybody who wants to access it and is qualified to access it is able to is one half of the problem but the other side is going are we even setting up our university system to do the right things to teach the right things and what can we do to improve that to make it both more useful and more cost-effective. Yeah. I think there's also this somewhat of a elitist mindset like in high school I thought I had to go to university and try to get into the hardest degree possible and that will set me up for life. <laughs> so uh, like I started in nanotechnology engineering like that was the hardest at the time to get into Waterloo and uh, and that's just you know like the people who want to have a good future that's what they try to do and that's how they view university but I but it's it's a mindset as well so if you had if you could change that mindset and uh, you know, people realize that the more practical colleges might be a better alternative, then um, maybe that would help to like solve some of the tuition problem as well. Um, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I was actually talking with a friend the other day who said that like she won't even necessarily encourage her kids to go to university, which was very like it's a very odd thing to think of because Personally, growing up, I had the same experience. You know, I was the, I was the youngest, so I was expected to go to university because my siblings had, even though my parents hadn't. But more than that, in high school, it really felt if you weren't tracking towards a university, you were like one of the dumb kids. That's how I felt from the teachers. To not consider, you know, I had my woodshop teacher encourage me to go into a college, and I I laughed at him because. All of my other teachers were like, no, you sh like, David, you're smart. You should go to university. And I did the same thing. I looked up you know, the hardest program, and I was like, OK, let's try and get into there, because that's all I really knew. And then also, you know, I, I was good at you know, science and math, so I picked engineering, because people said, that includes science and math. And like, I get in, and I you know, have committed a lot of money and a lot of time into something that you know maybe I didn't like particularly. So it's also about like that cost of a lot of people. I'd be interested to see how many people use actually use the degrees that they got because that's another whole cost thing. If that cost is shifted from them personally to the taxpayer, and 40% of them don't use the degree, and you know why are we again pushing people through this stream? 
Yeah, I mean, using the degree is a kind of interesting metric because especially when we look at a degree that doesn't teach a specific technical skill set, it's really hard to say what is useful and what isn't. I mean, I studied geology and business in my undergrad, and I'm not currently a geologist. I don't have my geology license. But at the same time, a lot of the concepts and skills that I learned from that in terms of mathematics, in terms of understanding how physics works and how to set up complex calculations, I end up using my business job. But strictly speaking, someone can't say you're a geologist, you did a really good choice, and say that there was a perfect ROI on that. Um, so, you know, is that a metric we really want to try to use to qualify whether somebody deserves public funding or not? That's very fair. Um, but, you know, maybe I agree that there's some skills I learned in university that were hugely beneficial to, I think, any job I'll go into, right? But then, you know, it makes me think of the Quebec model where it's, you know, you have two years of, uh, of a college type environment where you're learning the more tangible, useful skills of, you know, you get your high school concepts till grade 11 and then you have two years of a more, I, I don't know exactly how the CJEP model works, but it's two years of a more broad, but also you can target the programs you might want to go into, right? It's the, the same way like taking a general first year of university, because there's a lot of concepts that are fairly across the board, you know, so maybe I take one year of university and learn the core skills for the entire field of STEM, let's say, and then I can have a much more informed decision about what to get further educated in. It's an interesting concept. But what, bringing it back to like the actual cost um, is the rate of increase of tuition, right? So in addition to more people going, the cost of tuition has gone up like an absurd amount as well. I think the number I read was 40% in 10 years or something. So it's, you know, it's outpacing inflation by far and it's becoming less sustainable for each person to pay for it relative to the rest of society. But again, do we think typically, uh, you know, an argument is that once government starts to pay for something, the costs go even more awry because the, the funding is theoretically limitless. So is that not a concern? Like these universities, yeah, most of them are public, but like they're still businesses, right? They still want to earn a lot of money. Uh, like what, what about, you know, from a pure financial point of view, bring, reining them in more so they can't have such huge increases in tuition? Yeah, I think there, uh, it might be a good idea to limit that rate on uh, the tuition increase. Um, at the same time, the university students still need to pay for a lot of things, like they're building huge research buildings and they're paying for a lot of, well, maybe they're just paying for salaries, like professor's salaries, so there's another side of it. Like it's also the university's, uh, I feel like, somewhat their responsibility to cut down on some of those costs. Um, but yeah, from a financial point of view, I think it should be limited. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think tuition increase is a, a funny one. I always ask, what are students getting right now without any other proposed changes for their extra dollars? Is it literally that we're paying an extra 4%, 5% each year just because the university says that we can or the government says that we can? Um, or is there extra value? You know, when you look at the university budget, most of it goes to the staffing model. Um, so the question is, hey, are the professors better than they were a few years ago? Is there more support staff and service? And if so, should we continue to outpay, like pay for that because it outpaces inflation but delivers a real return? Um, so we need to figure out what the answer to that is. I know that in the States, one of the biggest drivers of increased university costs is the fact that university campuses have become, in some cases, nearly as good as five-star resorts. 
You've got chefs coming and making great food. Your resident services are rolled into your first tuition, but make sure you get a double bed uh, and private rooms and things like that. Um, and even those ancillary costs, which may be passed on as separate costs to students, are going up to a point where they become unfathomable for a lot of people. But it's also because students are demanding them. Students say, hey, I want to go into the newest residence. I want it to only be built a few years ago, and I want a single room instead of having a traditional bunk bed dorm room that was the norm 20 or 30 years ago. Um, and in that case, it goes, hey, should we tell universities that they need to have a service offering that's exactly this and no more? Should we let certain things be free market within the university environment? Um, or should we say any cost increase you have has to be offset by some other cost decrease? That every time a professor gets a $20,000 raise, you've got to figure out how you take $20,000 off of cost somewhere else. Yeah, that actually brings up a point I hadn't thought of is, you know, I was talking more generally about should we cover tuition or should we not? But it's, what about all the other costs associated with universities, right? So sure, we can cover the baseline, let's say $4,000 per term tuition, but it's very expensive to go to university generally, right? All of the books, residence, and anything else. But is there like a small level of service that we would provide? Like you are entitled to the worst dorm. We will cover the worst dorm for you, but if you want a better dorm, you have to pay that for yourself. Or like, do we allow universities to, because essentially they're competing with each other, right? They need the best and the, you know, the best chef and the, the best dorm rooms because they want students to go there rather than an, a competitor university. So, you know, because it's that still, you know, it is kind of a free market model among the universities, you know, that's, they're driving up their own costs. How do, how do we factor into that? That's an interesting one to say. Like, <laughs> if they're driving up their costs, we're telling them to drive up their costs. Like, who at the end of the day gets to just hit the stop button and say, this is enough. We've hit the point where everybody's got enough things going. You don't need more. And if you do, you definitely need to pay for those out of pocket. Um, I mean, going along with that is like, do we start to say, hey, if we're paying for your tuition and all these things, you have to go to the university nearest to you. If we're gonna give you um, a residency credit, you're only getting it because you grew up in Northern Ontario and the nearest university is four hours away, so it's unreasonable for you to commute from home. But if you're living in the city of Toronto, like we'll pay for your bus pass and that is it. You do not get residency permits. Mm. Like yeah, the community when, when you start to restrict it based on location, then my gut reaction is no, like we shouldn't do that. People should have a choice of where they want to go and not have to be limited based on like how like whether they're going to get it covered think, or not. Yeah, that's kind of, you know, with us it's kind of turning it into the school model which, you know, maybe it is fair cuz it is about lowering the cost for the taxpayer as much as possible and you have to go to the school that you're zoned for, yeah. right? Like for elementary school and high school unless you choose to go to a private school and pay for yourself if you think that's a better education. But that does introduce a lot of other problems as well. Yeah. Like if you, it's then, you know, who wins the education lottery? Are you born in a city with a good university? Or are you born in a city with a bad university? Yeah, no, I, that's actually literally where my mind was going the right way. Say you're born and you happen to live at one Queens Park Crescent and you can walk to U of T in three seconds. You can take virtually any program and ensure that it's gonna be a top five in Canada program. Um, but again, say you live in, I don't know, say Sault Ste. Marie. I think there's a university there, or at least a campus there but it's not gonna offer the same range of programs. So does that say that, oh, if you happen to pick one of the ones that's not there, you get more of a benefit than if someone picks a program that is there but isn't gonna have the same research opportunities because there's just less happening there? Do we say that you, know, you shouldn't be allowed to do that? Or do we tell people, hey, it's a meritocracy, so the top 1,000 students in the subject get to go to U of T, the next 500 get to go to uh, York University or whatever, 
and if you still want to do this, but you're number 1,501 on the list, like you've just got to take the next school uh, or below uh, as your pick, and that's just the way it has to work. Yeah. I think we're, we're getting into like very much nitty gritty of like, <laughs> I think, but I think it's like a very interesting topic, but bringing it back to the finances, you know, fundamentally, I think all of, us, all of us said that we're, you know, in favor of some sort of free education. Do you think that is because we've been through the system and we have this debt? Because I want to kind of highlight that many people our age have a lot of debt and it's impacting their ability to save, to afford a house, to like start contributing to society generally. So what do we think of like the impacts not paying for tuition is having on us and, you know, our generation total? Sorry, the impacts of not so the, like So the fact that many people our age are carrying a lot of debt, right? They have to, you know, they have to use their wages to pay that off. They can't start saving money, right? Um, it'll be harder for them to buy a house. So, like, I, I think, you know, many people from the older generation would still potentially disagree on, you know, free tuition for everyone. And, you know, for me, it's a matter of, you know, the unit, society needs these educated people. Right now, that's what society's determined. And, you know, why is it fair to riddle them with this debt and have, have them have to carry this burden alone? Yeah. Yeah, no, go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think that's a good point. I mean, when I look at it, I was lucky enough during my first degree um, to find ways to cover almost all the costs. I graduated with pretty much enough student debt that I could pay it off in a year with some modest savings and, uh, you know, just not being too unrestrained with my spending. My second degree was a professional degree and it was just a completely different ball game. And it's been three years since I've graduated. I've been employed virtually the entire time with the exception of a couple months right at the beginning. And you know, paying it off is just so much harder. It adds so much stress to the entire equation. It would be great in principle for the fact that I decided to do more and to stretch myself more to not have to cover that cost. At the same time, I can totally hear the argument going, okay, you've had one degree. You're already in the top chunk of the job market. You're doing just fine why should we pay for a second one at that point? You know, what are you getting that you're actually contributing more? Is there a real ROI on that for everybody around you? Or is this sort of a selfish thing where you're saying, you're sending yourself back to school, you decide to get more educated so you can get paid significantly more money, and you just kind of have to deal with the fact that it's gonna cost you something, that you're gonna have to take that trade off um, in order to do that. And I honestly don't know whether that's fair, um, especially for some professional degrees that really swing your earnings from here to here whether everybody else should cover that when you're the one who benefits disproportionately more. But that same argument can be extended to the university, the first university degree, right? Yes, you'll earn more, so you'll contribute more back to society, but you'll earn more. So you are paying to get yourself into a higher job bracket, right? If you graduate with a high school degree, you can get a job, you can find a job, but if you wanna be earning you know, a, more, a better wage, they're saying, okay, get a degree and you're gonna reap, let's say, 80%, 50%, 60% of the benefits, so shouldn't you cover, I mean, maybe that percent of the cost, but it's hard to know, right? Yeah. But it is you getting the benefit. You are paid more if you have a degree. Yeah, that's true. I think, though, there's the one side where we're talking about free tuition, but the other side is that there, we're kind of forgetting that there are a lot of subs subsidies already. They're not necessarily covered by the government, but they're coming from companies or like in, in the form of scholarships or um, like endowment funds, those kind of things. Um, so in a way, if I think if you go and get a second education, then you still have some options for getting that subsidized. It's not like 
It's either you don't get any, like you have to pay every 100% or you pay 0%. Yeah. There that's is an right. in-between. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point as well because even more generally, if you look at the way at least Ontario's system works, roughly half the cost of the university are done entirely by like government subsidies. Um, you know, that figure might be a little bit outdated now, but in general, you can just say there's a portion that's already there. So in a way, we have 50% off tuition versus the raw cost, and you can look at that by saying, what's the international student tuition versus what's the local student, and that's all subsidy figures right in there. Right. Um, so I guess that's just worth noting that that already exists in some measure, along with all the other corporate ones that you're thinking of. Right. One thing that actually made me think of is, you know, a model we didn't talk about is a more corporately financed model. These companies need these people, right? Like a lot of companies need engineers, the same way society does. They have a big profit motive to get well-educated people. So it, that would be an interesting model to try and either work with university, uh, work, have universities work with, um, with companies, or have like the government, you know, impl implement something that has government uh, has companies more helping cover the cost of tuition because they are getting a huge value add for getting these well-educated people. Yeah. Right. I was actually reading the other day, I think Shopify is doing that in uh, Ottawa, where they're sending students to either Carleton or Ottawa, I can't remember exactly which school, um, but it's literally 25 students, they're getting either a partial or full scholarship that's generous in either case, um, and they're getting work experience because they're getting 20 or 25 hours a week to go and code with Shopify on site while still earning three full-time credits every single uh, semester year round. And it's a really interesting program because it combines exactly what you said, this corporate sponsorship, um, full tuition coverage, so these students are getting a quote-unquote free education. It's meritocratous because they're finding the best students who are able to qualify for this full scholarship and it's being done in a full transparent partnership model. So I guess the question was, how do you take exactly that approach and multiply it over dozens of these small ones or more systematically a few large opportunities that work like that? And there's also, that's also a risk though of, you know, company, the people are all like only in corporate streams. And like how, how long do you sign your soul away for, right? Is there like obviously Shopify wants you to work for Shopify if they're paying for your whole schooling. How long do you have to sign up for? Because you know, at 18, I don't even know necessarily what my education should be or what I want from that. Do I know what I want my job to be for the next 10 years? So I think actually in, in, in Israel, the military will sponsor your schooling if you're, like, if you're identified for, you know, let's say a higher ranking of position or something like that. I knew someone who signed away nine years, right? Because they were gonna go through a certain training program, go through a certain university program, it was all covered. But at 18, you're deciding, yeah, I think nine years is good, right? And so you could see that, you know, that would incentivize the, that's what the companies would want as well. Because they don't even like training you and then you leaving. So let alone if they paid for your whole tuition. Yeah, no, that's right. I think the Canadian military does something similar and I definitely know people, a friend of mine in the US, who got the same kind of deal. He went to a great school um, down in the Southwest and then signed off five years. And it's, it's hard when it's a, literally a life or death thing like that, where you're going, it's five years worth of uh, time that I've put in that could be life threatening. Um, but at the same time, I do get great standing, great education and a guaranteed job at the end. Obviously the risks are a little different when you're going to the corporate world, but it's still a good question to ask. Should we be asking someone who's 18 or 19 to sign off that much of their life because of the fact that it means they get a slightly better education um, or a freer one that they can actually afford? And then, you know, the contrast to that is, is it a really egalitarian society if we say, hey, if you happen to be born um, to a more profitable, to a richer station, that you don't have to sign away your life, but because you're 
unable to raise this, or your parents weren't able to save, or whatever the reason is, you need to sign away uh, your education and your life in order to be able to get that advantage. And it fundamentally comes down to, you know, what's, what's expectations is society setting for its workforce, right? Um, and I think that's kind of, we've touched on it here and there as well, but, you know, should it be equal for everyone? Sh who should pay for that? And, you know, what is the system that will get us there? Is it the current university, you know, university-focused system, or is there a different hybrid? But on that note, I think uh, it's a good one to end it on. And I want to thank the two of you for coming on and sharing your opinions with me today. And I'd love to hear yours as well. Tell me what you think about tuition. Thanks for watching The Safe Space. We hope to see you next time.